This is your morning wake-up call on Sports Country. Grab a cup of coffee and hang with us every weekday morning for the latest news, sports, and other things going on around the world and in your backyard. Now, here's your host, Gene Gums. Good morning, everybody. It is six minutes past nine o'clock here in Hayesville, North Carolina. A chilly one. Welcome to a Monday morning wake-up call on Sports Country Radio. October the 23rd, 2023, 35 degrees. Uh, when I got up this morning, we've gotten up to 40, but it was a, uh, a chilly one. But I love this time of year. It's going up to like 72 today, but still gets really cold at night. But uh, it's... A beautiful fall day here in the mountains of western North Carolina. It was a beautiful day if you were a Texas Rangers fan as the Major League Baseball playoffs continue and the home teams still (laughs) can't seem to win a game. Uh, Nate Evaldi was great again last night for the Rangers. Uh, Pitches into the seventh inning, gives up two runs. Uh, And uh, Mitch Garver... Jonah Heim with opposite field home runs early, and then Adolis Garcia with uh, the absolute dagger late as he hits a grand slam, uh, and uh, Texas goes on to win it 9-2. to I mean, it, not a, a home team cannot win a game in this series. The, home, the road teams have won every one. Uh, and, of course, if you're a Rangers fan, you hope that continues. Uh, the Rangers will send Max Scherzer to the mound tonight, to or actually, well, yeah, it was kind of tonight, I guess, 5 o'clock this afternoon or this evening, whichever way you want to look at it. Um, Scherzer, who was disappointing in Game 3, but he had had a month off. So, I, you know, I don't think you could have expected an awful lot out of him, but this is a guy that uh, pitched the Washington Nationals into the World Series. This is a guy that has uh, uh, started playoff games for five different teams. So he's no stranger to pressure. He's 39 years old, and like I said, five runs, five hits, 63 pitches his first time back in a month. Um, But he uh, struck out the last two guys he faced in that outing, and he's going to, you know, he's going to give them everything that he's got. There's no question about that, and and, uh, uh, he is going to have to take on Christian Javier, who was the Game 3 winner. Uh, a game that the Astros won 8-5. to five. Uh, Javier's been good. Look, in 16 postseason games, the kid's 6-1 and one with an ERA of just over 2. He's won all four of his starts. Uh, he's going to be a handful. But these Rangers, for whatever reason, they love hitting in Houston. Can't explain it. And look, Houston struggled in the regular season at home. They were three games under 500 at home uh, in the regular season, 39 and 42. They are, I think, one and five at home in this playoff. So, and by the way, no team with a losing record at home has ever made the World Series. 
So take that for what it's worth. You know, the thing with Houston is is that uh, with that lineup, it is really, really hard to count them out of anything. Uh, the one thing that they did do last night is they kept Jose Altuve in the ballpark. Now, Altuve did have a couple of hits. But uh, the thing with Altuve, and, and, you know, as great as he's been in the postseason, I think he's, what, second on the all-time list for home runs in the postseason with 26 or 25. Um, the one thing about him that drives you nuts sometimes is he loves to swing early in the count. He was up five times last night and only saw 11 pitches. I think he swung at the first pitch twice. You know, that, that's insane. You know, by contrast, um, Marcus Semyon got up for the uh, Rangers last night five times. He saw 23 pitches. He saw twice as many pitches. He makes guys work. You know, and Jose Altuve is going to laugh his way to my comment all the way to the Hall of Fame probably. But, you know, I mean, but it's just he can be a little bit maddening sometime. But last night, Evaldi was great and give a lot of credit to that bullpen of the Rangers. And, look, the Rangers' bullpen during the regular season um, was not outstanding, but they have been really good in the postseason. Uh, case in point, um, Josh Sabors, who comes in last night in a tough spot, had an ERA this year of over five in the regular season. He comes in last night at the leave of all the end for the seventh inning. And uh, Nate gives up a single to Jose Altuve with one out. So they take him out. Sabors comes in. He gets Brantley to ground in a double play. Gets out of it. Great job. You know, and then last night, it, it, or the next inning, well, he gets himself into trouble. You know, he walks Bregman. Then he gives up a single to Abreu. So runners on first and second with one out. LeClerc comes in, and he walks a guy to load the bases, but then he gets a, uh, a line out by Seeger, and he strikes out Singleton, the pinch hitter, gets out of trouble, and then the ninth inning, uh, it didn't matter anymore because Adolis Garcia with that – 1-1 one, one, uh, pitch that he deposited into the Crawford boxes for a grand slam. It takes it from a 5-2 game to a 9-2 game, and that was all she wrote. And for Garcia, of course, a little, little bit of sweet revenge there after he got plunked after hitting a home run in game five. The next time up, he got hit by a pitch and did not take it well. Benches emptied. Abreu, who threw the pitch for Houston, has been suspended by Major League Baseball uh, for two games. Of course, he's appealed that. So he was able to pitch last night and gave up a couple of hits and a run. So, you know, he wasn't great last night. But he's having his hearing today with Major League Baseball. In a game seven... If they uphold that suspension, he won't be available for Game 7 for Houston tonight in a, in a game where everybody is available. You know, if Max Scherzer struggles tonight, 
it'll be a quick hook for Bruce Bochy. He can't afford to mess around tonight, and he's got John Gray sitting out there, right? He's got everybody's available. Thanks to what Nate did last night. I mean, they had to use Sabors for an inning. Andrew Heaney came in and pitched the ninth um, through four pitches to get three outs. Um, they've got him out there, you know, if he gets in trouble early. So they've got a couple of options early. And then, you know, again, with, with what Nate did last night, all their other short relievers are all ready to go tonight. So um, I, I'm <laughs> I'm rooting for Texas. I Look, I'm, I'm not going to lie. You know, I, I think that uh, uh, Texas is just one of six teams, by the way, in Major League Baseball that does not have a World Series title. So, and they haven't been to the World Series since 2011. They went back-to-back in 2010, 2011. Didn't win either one of them, but one of six teams in baseball that has yet to win a title. So it'd be kind of cool to see somebody different in there. You know, and, uh, and the ratings, by the way, for television, despite the fact that all the high seeds got bounced out early, the ratings are about even with what they were last year, which is a bit of a surprise to me. And I made a comment early. I said, you know, the last thing that Major League Baseball wants is an Arizona-Texas uh, <laughs> World Series because the ratings would be brutal. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. We'll see. Maybe maybe having somebody different in there will help. But I think the Phillies are going to win tonight. The Phillies are up three games to two after winning game five, uh, pounding out a bunch of home runs yet again. Kyle Schwarber continuing to write his name uh, into uh, baseball lore with what he has done in postseason. Bryce Harper continued his incredible season. After coming back from that injury in the regular season, doing what he did, Stepping in to play first base, a position that he hadn't played before, and the way he has hit the ball in postseason, I mean, just uh, he, he, he will never have to buy a drink in the city of Philadelphia again ever. Uh, but tonight it'll be Aaron Nola, who has been great in the playoffs. Merrill Kelly will get the start for the Arizona Diamondbacks, trying to keep them alive for a game seven. But I think the uh, the Phillies finished this thing off tonight. Aaron Nola has been great. You know, uh, he's 3-0 and in the postseason. He pitched seven shutout innings to, to, to finish off Miami in the wild card. He's allowed two runs in 18 and two-thirds innings and struck out 19 and walked just two in these playoffs. So he's been spectacular. And by the way, every time he goes out there and every inning he pitches and puts up a zero, you could probably add another zero to his contract that he's going to get coming up at the end of the season. He is going to be a free agent. Uh, he and his agent were negotiating with the Phillies about an extension. And when it didn't come together, he broke off talks because he wanted to concentrate on the regular season. There's not a lot of free agent pitchers on the market. This year, it's a pretty thin uh, pitcher's market. But he says he wants to stay in Philly. Well, if that's the case, they're going to have to pay him. I mean, seriously, when you look at the the free agents, free agent pitchers, you know, and, and the Red Sox, of course, are going to need a couple of pitchers. I don't know who else is out there. 
You know, Shohei Otani, that's great, but he just had surgery. He's not going to be able to pitch this year. So basically, he's just a, a, a DH for a year. You know, and with with the arm issues that he's had, you know, how long is he going to be a pitcher? So Aaron Nola is going to be able to probably uh, go to the Phillies and say, give me a check, and I'm going to write out the amount you need to pay me, <laughs> and he's going to get it. Uh, but anyway, so I expect the Phillies will probably finish that off tonight. If not, uh, Game 7 for that one uh, will be tomorrow. But 5 o'clock today, Texas and Houston. And then the other game, I believe, is a 7.30 start, uh, which is an odd time. I'm, I have to double-check that. I thought I thought I saw 7.30. Um, no, it's 8.07, I, I think. Wait a minute. No, 8.03. So it is still an 8 o'clock start. Uh, so that will go up against Monday Night Football uh, tonight football will football will win but it'll be like me you'll be swapping back and forth between games um if my wife allows that <laughs> she's you know she has been a trooper you know she uh she's she's sick of she's sick of uh baseball and of course we've got the NFL going on the hockey season has started last night she she came back and I'm flipping between the baseball game uh, the uh, the football game with the Eagles, and uh, then the Bruins were playing out on the West Coast in Anaheim. So I had all three. She just looked at me and just rolled her eyes. And I, I'm probably fortunate she has not stabbed me in my sleep. Uh, but anyway, so uh, lots of good things happening today, uh, at least in the world of baseball. Um, other baseball news. Interesting here in that the uh, San Diego Padres have given permission to, for their manager, Bob Melvin, to interview for the open position with the San Francisco Giants. Now, Melvin is a, uh, a Bay Area guy. He grew up in Palo Alto. He was a Giants fan growing up. Um, he went to Cal Berkeley. I mean, so this is a guy that, you know, his, his roots run deep there. He's a guy that coached in Oakland. For a number of years, but I found it interesting that the Padres would be willing to let him just walk away. I think Bob Melvin's a pretty good manager, and I think what happened in, with that team this year, I don't know that it was Bob Melvin's fault. But he had one year left on his contract. They had already announced, he and A.J. Preller had announced that uh, he was going to come back to finish out the final year of his contract, and they would you know, discuss an extension after that. But they have allowed him uh, permission to go talk to the Giants. Um, so would not shock me if he ends up leaving for the Giants. The other, now the other part of this is if, uh, if you're a Boston fan, uh, news came down at the end of the week last week that the, uh, Red Sox had given permission for Jason Veritek to talk to the San Francisco Giants about the job there. Uh, a lot of people think Veritek is the heir apparent to Alex Cora, but I don't, you know, the thing is, I don't know how long Alex Cora is going to manage. He's only, what, 46 years old? I mean, you know, unless they lay an egg this year, I think if the Red Sox start this next season, upcoming season, and they struggle in the beginning, I think Alex, they may fire him. But they obviously love Alex Cora because they basically saddled Bloom with Alex Cora. They've also said that Alex Cora is going to have input into who becomes the new head of baseball operations there. So Alex Cora has a lot of power, and the ownership loves him there. So I don't know how long 
you know, Tech's going to have to wait if that's what he expects, you know, if, if he's waiting to become the manager there. It'll be really, really interesting uh, to see. I don't, I, I just don't see Veritech wanting to go to San Francisco. But it, I guess a lot will depend on how much he, he wants to manage. But he is really entrenched, not just with the Red Sox, but with the community as well. Uh, so I would be really surprised. Uh, but now that Bob Melvin is in the mix over in San Francisco, I think Bob Melvin probably becomes the odds-on favorite to get that job. Um, and uh, they announced yesterday the uh, the uh, Hall of Fame committee uh, is going to meet December 3rd. It's the Contemporary Era Committee. So uh, this is a, a group that meets – and they are going to consider uh, managers, executives, and umpires uh, for induction into the Hall of Fame uh, next year. Probably the most notable names are the four four of the managers that are up would be uh, Jim Leland, Lou Piniella, Cito Gaston, and Davey Johnson. And uh, they've all got World Series titles to their credit. Cito Gaston's got two of them as the, the Blue Jays won back-to-back seasons uh, in, 80, in 92 and 93. Um, Lou Pinella's got more wins as a manager than anybody else that's up. Uh, Lou Pinella was also a pretty good player, by the way. And, and, and Lou was the manager of the year three different times. Um 291 career hitter in 18 big league seasons. So, uh, you know, he wasn't a Hall of Fame player, but he was he was a better player than any of these other guys. Uh, so I would think Pinella and uh, and Leland are probably uh, the top two. Joe West, former umpire, is up uh, for the Hall of Fame. Uh, I if, if they put Joe West into the Hall of Fame, my head may explode. You know, I'm sure he's a really nice guy, and, you know, he's got a, a soft spot in my heart because he's a, he's a country music guy. Uh, write songs for you know and and for country music, but uh, he was a terrible umpire. At least late in his career, he was terrible. You know, the one thing he's got going for him, he umpired uh, almost 5,500 games, which is a record uh, between 1976 and 2021. But still, ugh. If they if they put him in the Hall of Fame, I think I may I may throw up. Uh, the other guy that's up, Bill White, uh, former National League president. Uh, also, he, by the way, who was also a great player, he was an all-star uh, first baseman, made the all-star team five times, uh, and it was a Yankee broadcaster for years. I got to meet Bill White and interview he, him and Phil Rizzuto in Yankee Stadium one time. It was one of the greatest moments of my life. Uh, great guy. Uh, I think Bill White's 89 years old, and uh, that would be a, a, a really nice, uh, nice thing for him to get in, but uh, we shall see. Anyway, they are meeting on December the 3rd. Uh, to see who will go into the Hall of Fame uh, next year with the players. By the way, the, the, probably the leading candidates to get into the Hall of Fame next year, I think Adrian Beltre gets in on the first ballot. Uh, he's on the uh, the ballot next year. Uh, Todd Helton probably is going to get in. Billy Wagner, Helton may, missed by just 11 votes last year, and Wagner missed by 27. Uh, so we might have a few guys. Joe Maurer is also on the ballot for next year. Uh, he's. I think he... You know what? The the injuries that he had at catcher at the beginning of his career, I thought Joe Maurer was going to be a Hall of Famer. Uh, the way his, his career finished, I'm not so sure about that. I think he belongs in the Hall of Very Good. Same thing with like Chase Utley, David Wright, Jose Bautista, Matt Holliday. They're also eligible. But uh, I think Adrian Beltre is a no-brainer. And then I think Helton and Wagner get in as well. So we'll see who, uh, who joins them 
uh, when the Veterans Committee meets on uh, December the 3rd. All right, uh, that is our baseball news. Why don't we, uh, this is probably be a good time to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk NFL action from yesterday, the shocker of all shockers. It was, this was such a shocker. We didn't even have our guy, Dan Zampano, give a prediction on this game uh, with, the, with the Patriots and the Bills because uh, the Bills were like uh, an eight-and-a-half-point favorite, and I thought that might not be enough. Uh, shows you what I know. Uh, so we'll talk about that when we come back. You're listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country. It is 28 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to The Wake Up Call here on a Monday morning. So the New England Patriots pull off the shocker of all shockers. Not just the fact that they beat the Buffalo Bills 29-25 to yesterday. It's the fact that they damn near let another one get away, uh, a game that they led 22-10 to midway through the fourth quarter, and then six minutes later, or actually five and a half minutes later, they're losing 25-22, and you're like, well, you know, nice nice effort. There you go. It's all over. Mac Jones, not a guy that is known for fourth quarter drives. A guy that, you know, that, that can win you a game. I think this was just the second fourth quarter comeback of his career. The only other one came uh, in his rookie season against the Texans. And by the way, this was also the first time that Mac Jones won a game when the other team scored at least 25 points. You know, uh, the way the, the Patriots' offense had been absolutely putrid this year, averaging, what, 11 points a game? So, you know, the other team scores – the other team scores – uh, 25, you're figuring there's no, you got no shot. Even though you've scored 22, you think, well, you know, you've given it all you have. But uh, Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs hooked up for a 25-yard TD pass. They went 75 yards in five plays. Took two minutes after the Patriots took that 22 to 10 lead. So now it's a five-point game, and you know, uh, <laughs> then. Then Josh Allen with a one-yard run with 158 left. And this was one – look, this was the killer um, because this was an unforced error. Mac Jones threw another bad interception, you know, and then uh, uh, Kendrick Bourne fumbles the ball as he tries to go upfield. And gave the ball to the Bills at the Patriots' 16-yard line. Um, so there you go. And then they got a little help from the officials. Uh, Jack Jones got called for illegal contact. All of a sudden, now it's balls on the one. Josh Allen scores, and the Patriots are losing. So <laughs> you're like, well, it's all over. But then Mac Jones just engineered an eight-play, 75-yard drive, took a minute and 46 seconds. Uh, Ramondre Stevenson, you know, and, and people want to people kill um, Mac Jones. Say, well, you know, it wasn't really Mac Jones. You know, he, he, it was a screen pass to Ramondre Stevenson, and he, and he ran 34. Well, yes, he did. But so What? You know, I mean, nobody's killing uh, Tua when he throws a little slant pass across the middle to, uh, you know, 
to Jalen Waddle or, you know, and, and he runs, uh, you know, gets 50 yards after the catch. I mean, it doesn't matter. You know, I mean, so a 34-yard screen pass gets him into field goal range. But then a big uh, a big third and eight, Mac Jones hits Hunter Henry for 14 yards. And then he hits uh, Devontae Parker and then Stevenson again. And then they get it all the way down to the one-yard line. And then he hits Mike Gusecki in the back of the end zone, a one-yard touchdown pass, and the Patriots win the game. Absolutely stunned the Buffalo Bills. The Buffalo Bills are now 4-3, and three, a team that a lot of people thought were a Super Bowl team. Doesn't, look, it doesn't mean they still can't make the Super Bowl. When you look, but when you look at Buffalo, they're 4-3, and three, and two of their losses have come to the Patriots and the New York Jets. And uh, if you're a Buffalo fan, that does not make you very comfortable. So, uh, 300th victory for Bill Belichick. Uh, A lot of people getting on Belichick because early in the game, when there were some opportunities to to perhaps go for it on fourth down, uh, went for the field goal instead, and I don't care, you know, people say, well, you know, analytics say you should go for it. I don't care what analytics say. Analytics hasn't worked out so well for a lot of coaches lately going for it on fourth down, both in the pros and in college. Well, analytics say you should do that. Well, you know what? You know, <laughs> at the end of the day, if, if you don't have the horses And if you don't have a quarterback that has shown the ability to make big plays in big spots, you know, and Mac Jones certainly has not done that, you know, despite what he did yesterday, if you're Bill Belichick, how can you feel confident in going for it on fourth down, on a fourth and two, when you're not running the ball well, and Mac Jones hasn't shown the ability to make big plays? You have to take the points. You have to. It was a fourth and two and a fourth and three, and he ended up going for the field goals, and it's the right play for this Patriot team. I don't care what anybody says. And does this mean, uh, you know, I saw yesterday on social media, you know, after the victory, people were like, does this mean we're back? You know, let's not get carried away, all right? It was a nice win, and it's – when the season started and you're going down the Patriots' schedule and you're, you're trying to figure out what games they're going to win, there is nobody that had the Patriots beating the Buffalo Bills in either of the games this year. And if you say you did, you're a liar. <laughs> There's nobody that had that. Um, and now they get to follow that up. It was a nice win, but now they have to go on to Miami next week on Sunday at 1 o'clock, play in Miami against that great offense. Wasn't so great last night. We'll talk about that in a bit, but uh, they're going to have their hands full. I still say the Patriots don't win six, don't win any more than six games this year, and last week I was thinking they wouldn't even win that, but, you know, uh, 
next week is going to be tough. But then they've got the Commanders and Indianapolis and the Giants. They have three straight games where you go, okay, you know, those are games going into them you think they have an opportunity to win. The Indianapolis game will be a little bit dicey because it's in Frankfurt, Germany. But, uh, uh, again, it's still a team that, you know, with Gardner Minshew at quarterback, who is a walking turnover, you would think the Patriots have a chance to win that one. So, you know, but uh, their, their schedule down the stretch in the regular regular season, yeesh. They've got, they've got to play the Chargers in December. They've got to play Kansas City in December. They've got Buffalo again in December. Good luck. I think six wins will be the best that this team can hope for. Um, so, as I said, Bill Belichick gets his 300th career regular season victory. Uh, I think he's got 331 overall, uh, including the playoffs, second only to Don Shula. Um, but the interesting thing yesterday was just before the game, Ian Rappaport uh, from the NFL Network reported that Bill Belichick signed a, quote, lucrative multi-year new contract during the offseason. So all this speculation that we have had about Belichick getting fired or potentially getting fired sounds like smoke and mirrors. Sounds like there's no chance that's going to happen. It doesn't mean they couldn't take the GM title away from him, I suppose, but he's going to be there for the long term if, if, if these stories are correct. He was asked about it after the game. He said he didn't want to talk about his contract. The Patriots never talk about his contract. So, anyway, uh, great win, but let's not start printing playoff tickets because that's not going to happen. But it was definitely a great win, one I certainly never saw coming. Um. The game that I spent, and I didn't get the Patriot game down here, which was frustrating. Um, And because I live in the middle of nowhere and I don't have high-speed internet, even if I wanted to get NFL Sunday ticket through um, YouTube TV, I can't because I can't stream anything down here (laughs) until such time as we no longer have the tin can and string internet. Um, So I'm stuck with what we get on the local games. So the early games that I got stuck with yesterday – uh, you know, the Falcons and the uh, Tampa Bay Bucks, and then the Giants and the Washington Commanders. Two snooze fests. It was just brutal. Thank God for highlight shows so you can actually see what happens in other games. Um, but uh, the, the, my God, that uh, the Falcons game against the Bucks. Look, the Falcons get the win. That surprised me. Um, Desmond Ritter is uh, talking about walking turnover machines for the uh, the Atlanta Falcons, but the Falcons beat the Bucks sixteen to thirteen. The Falcons are now in first place in the NFC South. That's how bad the NFC South is because, folks, this Atlanta team is not very good. Um, Desmond Ritter fumbled the ball three times, and somehow they still won this game. Well, they won it because. Uh, Young Hoku hit a 51-yard field goal as time expired. Uh, and the fact that Baker Mayfield uh, threw a big interception in the fourth quarter. They were moving the ball, and he and he, he got picked off. Tampa committed all kinds of penalties. Uh, they couldn't run the ball at all. It was just, uh, I mean, give credit to the Atlanta defense. But both offenses in this game stunk. 
and that's what I had to watch. Um, but the Falcons, as I said, four and three now. You know, the other thing that hurt them, um, their young running back was sick, which does not help. Right? So not only do you go into a game with a quarterback that is turnover prone, you've got a a, a, a young running back um, that didn't even run the ball. Bijan Robinson didn't even run the ball. I think he I think he got one carry, and it was a a. They said when Arthur Smith was asked about it at halftime, he said that he wasn't feeling well. Well, so you know, <laughs> somehow Atlanta wins this game. And but that's three hours I'm never getting back. Uh, and if you're Tampa, after a game that you should have won, you have a short week and you have to play on Thursday night against what is going to be a very pissed off Buffalo Bills team. <laughs> Travel to Buffalo for a night game on Thursday night after that performance. Good luck. Uh, the Falcons get to play Tennessee. You know, the Falcons, if they can limit the turnovers, have a chance to win back-to-back games and uh, really put themselves uh, in a good position in the NFC South. Um, the officiating in the NFL. I mentioned, uh, you know, a big a big uh, uh, defensive interference call uh, in the Patriots game. There were two calls in this game yesterday between the Indianapolis Colts and the, and the Cleveland Browns. And, look, Cleveland wins the game 39-38. You know, Gardner Minshew, I think, committed four turnovers in this game, threw an interception, fumbled the ball all over the place, got sacked four times, still threw for 300 yards, you know, managed to keep his his team in it. But P.J. Walker, you know, you look at his numbers and his quarterback rating was like 51. Uh, But thanks to the officials, the Colts win this game. They had no business. I mean, the Browns win this game. They had no business winning this game back-to-back plays in the final 40 seconds of this game gave this game away to the Cleveland Browns uh the first one it was an illegal contact call um and on that play the ball had been fumbled had been recovered by Indianapolis looked like it was all over but no we have illegal contact and look this was a legit call this one I don't have an issue with but then on the very next play, on a ball that it appeared was being thrown out of bounds, the referees throw another flag. It was a pass interference call, and I'm telling you, folks, this ball was practically thrown into the stands. It was not catchable. There was some hand-grabbing going on on both sides and they called interference and gave the ball to Cleveland at the one-yard line. And it still took Cleveland, by the way, four chances to finally get it in. On their last chance, Kareem Hunt runs it in from one yard out, and they win it. But that was a an awful call. Uh, it was one of those that was bad enough where, you know, how they have these uh, f- former referees that are the uh, analysts now during the games. Even, you know, even they said uh, – there should have been a conversation had about whether this was catchable. It was just an awful call. And somehow the Browns come away with the 39-38 to 38 victory. Look, at the end of the day, 
Uh, neither one of these teams is very good, although Cleveland's now 4-2, and two, and that was a gift. Uh, the bad news for Cleveland is that P.J. Walker was even in the game. Deshaun Watson got the start and appeared to have re-injured that shoulder that kept him out for a couple of weeks. And uh, he was down on the ground for quite a while. They finally carried him off. Now, they're saying afterwards it was out of an abundance of caution. So whether or not he's going to be out um, next week, we don't know. They have to go to Seattle next week. Uh, <laughs> there was questions about why Deshaun Watson was sitting out as long as he was. Uh, maybe this shoulder is worse than people are letting on. I don't, I don't know. But that was uh, that was a rough one, and somehow P.J. Walker, who look, you know, great story coming out of the XFL and all that kind of stuff, good for him. But uh, they got handed this one by the officials this week. Uh, the Colts, by the way, will play at home next week. They've got New Orleans, um, and you know, look, uh, with Gardner Minshew as the quarterback, with uh, Richardson out for the rest of the year uh, with an injury, uh, Indianapolis was uh, was struggling anyway. But now they fall to three and four. And uh, uh, they're going to have their hands full next week with a New Orleans team that is going to be desperate uh, for a victory. 45 minutes past the hour. We're going to take one more break. We're back in a minute. You're listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country. It is 47 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to The Wake Up Call. So when we were talking to Dan Zampano on Friday, uh, he and I were both kind of saying, you know, kind of starting to believe in what was going on uh, with the Rams that, uh, you know, maybe they were going to be a legitimate contender this year. Uh, and they had, you know, a struggling Pittsburgh coming in. And I thought this was a the perfect opportunity for the Rams to make a statement. Well, they laid an egg. They end up losing to the Pittsburgh Steelers yesterday, 24-17. to Pittsburgh with two uh, Fourth-quarter touchdowns, Jalen Warren, a 13-yard run, and then Najee Harris, a three-yard run midway through the fourth quarter, and Pittsburgh wins this game. Matthew Stafford was terrible. Uh, couldn't even complete 50% of his passes, got sacked a couple of times. Uh, Kenny Pickett was okay. You know, the, the, the key for Kenny Pickett is don't turn the ball over. And he didn't. He uh, threw for 230 yards. No picks, only got sacked a couple of times. Uh, he ran a ball in from one yard out for a touchdown, and uh, that offense did just enough, just enough. And the Rams, listen, they ran the ball okay. Freeman ran for 66 yards. Henderson ran for 61 yards. They averaged over four yards a carry, um, but they did not come up big in the fourth quarter. Outside of the uh, the play about uh, early in the third quarter when they took a 17-10 to 10 lead, they did nothing the entire second half. After, by the way, the the, uh, the Steelers had just 91 yards of offense in the first half. They were 0-for on third down uh, and uh, turned it around in the second half. Uh, and, uh, you know, Puka Nakua, another big game for the Rams, eight catches for 154 yards. But that wasn't enough. Cooper Cup was the invisible man. Uh, just two catches for 29 yards. Nakua's got 58 catches in his first seven games, which, by the way, uh, is an NFL record. Uh, it actually ties Saquon Barkley's record for, for the most catches in a player's first eight games in his career. 
and he hasn't even suited up for week eight yet. Uh, unbelievable. Unbelievable. Um, but uh, Steelers escape with one. And, you know, the one thing that Dan did mention last week was, or on Friday was, you know, one of the things that the Steelers are good at is off of a bye week, uh, Mike Tomlin is really good at having his team prepared, and they did that, and they end up uh, winning that game. The Steelers will, will host Jacksonville. The Rams uh, in big trouble of losing back-to-back games. They have to play at Dallas uh, next Sunday. Uh, the Packers get beat late. Packers now fall to 2-4. and four. Jordan Love's tenure as starting quarterback for the Packers, not off to a great start. Uh, but Will Lutz, a 52-yard field goal with about four minutes to play in this one. And the Denver Broncos come back to win 19-17, to just the second win of the year for the Broncos, who are going nowhere. But, uh, listen, you got to take uh, – uh, take the highlights when you can get them. The Packers will host Minnesota next Sunday, and the Broncos uh, get to host the Chiefs. Good luck. We saw the Chiefs yesterday just absolutely uh, tune up the San Diego Chargers. I know the finals. It was 31-17. It was a two-score game. you know. But uh, Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey uh, were having a party yesterday. I mean, Mahomes threw for 424 yards, four touchdowns. Travis Kelsey caught 12 passes for 179 yards. Travis Kelsey had 143 yards receiving in the first half. And by the way, they they put this stat up on uh, on the broadcast yesterday. They're 4-0 since uh, Taylor Swift started uh, attending their games. It's gotten so bad even Andy Reid is <laughs> is talking about Taylor Swift in the post-game press conference. But I mean it was just crazy. They they just did whatever they wanted to do. Uh Justin Herbert threw a couple of picks. Never looked comfortable in this game. He's having he's got a, a fractured finger on his non-throwing hand, but it's giving him issues uh when he tries to hand the ball off. Uh you can tell that he's just not comfortable. At one point they had to rewrap the finger during the game. You would think being on the non-throwing hand it's not that big a deal. Um, but it seemed to really bother him yesterday. He never got comfortable, got sacked five times. Uh, but the biggest play of the game, it was a seven-point game about midway through the fourth quarter, and the Chargers had the punt, and uh, Nicole Hardman brought that punt back 50 yards. Six plays later, it's over. Uh, is Mahomes uh, connects with uh, Pacheco out of the backfield for a touchdown, and that was the end of the game. But Travis Kelsey and Patrick Mahomes – just have this uh, unspoken language between the two of them. I think it was the the uh, touchdown reception is the fi- I think the fiftieth for those two in their career together. I think that's the third most in history between uh, uh, with with a tandem for uh, tight ends. I mean, you, you've got to, well, I, I would imagine Gronk's got to be number one, um, but. Uh, Travis Kelsey's just ridiculous. You know, he'll run a pattern and Mahomes gets in trouble and Travis Kelsey just has finds a way to find a soft spot in the zone and it just Mahomes hits him every time. Every time. Uh the Chargers get the Bears next week and uh as I said the Chiefs will uh, visit the Broncos. Uh, <laughs> that should be no problem there. Um Jalen Hurts is banged up. He is uh he was limping last night. Matter of fact, he came out in the second half with a brace on his left leg, um, but the Philadelphia Eagles still won the game over the Dolphins last night, 31-17. Uh, Hurts threw for 279, a couple of scores, uh, ran for a score, uh, 
this Eagles team bounced back after a, a tough loss last week that nobody saw coming. And this was the stat that really made me kind of sit up and go, hmm, when I saw it this morning. The, the Dolphins, despite that loss, okay, are 5-2. and two. But this is kind of the uh, a paper tiger kind of thing when you look at these guys. The Dolphins' five wins this year have come against teams with a combined record of 8-25. and 8-25. and 25. Before the Eagle game last night, they had only faced one team with a record over 500, and that was the Buffalo Bills, and they lost that game 48-20. to 20. So with the two teams that they have played that have winning records, they've been outscored by 42 points. Uh, the Dolphins get the Patriots next week, and uh, the Eagles will play the Commodores. But uh, after looking at that yesterday, I'm really uh, starting to wonder if perhaps the uh, the Dolphins aren't as good as everybody thinks they are. Uh, one last thing before we get out of here. Uh, hockey last night, the Bruins stay perfect on the season. You know, a lot of people thought the Bruins might not even be a playoff team this year after setting the NHL record last year for uh, points in a season. They are now 5-0. and uh, Matt Potra last night, the young kid, 19 years old, two goals, and uh, they beat the Anaheim Ducks last night 3-1. to uh, Brad Marchand with an empty netter in this one. Linus Olmark does a great job. This was a pretty boring game. It was scoreless uh, until the third period. And uh, Anaheim scored first, and then uh, Potra got going, and uh, he scores two quick goals. Look, they, the Bruins had, like, I think seven games to decide whether they're going to keep him for the up for the whole season uh, or return him to his junior team. I think uh, I think what happened last night may have been a deciding factor, and he may be with the Bruins for the entire season. So Boston now 5-0. and They get to play at Chicago on Tuesday, another team that they've already beaten once this year. Uh, so the Boston Bruins off to a very, very good start. That's going to do it for us here this morning. We'll be back tomorrow with another edition of the Wake Up Call. Hey, it's uh, Dwight Yoakam's 67th birthday today. Uh, in honor of that, here's a little song he did with the, the late, great Buck Owens, uh, The Streets of Bakersfield. Happy birthday, Dwight. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to the Wake Up Call on Sports Country.